0: All right, well, we consider uh, continuing this morning our series in the Holy Spirit, and in a moment we'll be reading from Romans chapter 8. If you are following in the app, uh, the notes are there. If you don't have the app, sorry, I'm on mute. If you don't have the app, um, you can download it from our website, and will need to go through our website. Uh <coughs> Maybe because it's a container app and uh, just go through our website. Um, Last week and the week before, we looked at the day of Pentecost. Uh, And in the first week, we saw how the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples um, and that there is the promise of more in the Christian life through the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we looked at Peter's Pentecost sermon. Uh, and saw how the coming of the the Holy Spirit was a sign of the exaltation and lordship of Jesus. Uh, Because Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit has been poured out and that our response should be one of repentance towards God uh, and baptism in the name of Jesus. Uh, And again, if you missed those messages, you can pick them up on our website or in the app. But today it's no longer... Pentecost, uh, that was a special time of revival. And we do see extraordinary events like that happen from time to time, but I think you'll agree that that's not the uh, everyday experience of, of Christians. And yet, there is still more in the Christian life. And Jesus is exalted and risen and pours out the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit, his His presence To us, mean for us today. Uh, What does the spirit-filled life look like? And over the next two weeks, we're going to uh, spend some time looking at the first part of Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 1 to 17, uh, which is about this topic, uh, about the spirit-filled life. And this week, I want to focus on what the Holy Spirit does in us, and then we'll look at some of the hallmarks of the spirit-filled life next week but let's read Romans chapter 8 now so Romans 8 verse 1 therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh God did he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs... Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Well, Romans 8 begins with the therefore, and we can't really understand what the therefore is there unless we read chapter 7. Now, we're not going to read it today. I just want to briefly summarise. In uh, chapter 7, Paul agonises over his desire to obey God's law but his utter inability to do so in practice. As we'd say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. His mind drifts towards God's law, but his flesh, his human nature, drifts towards sin. And sin inevitably leads to death. As a friend uh, always used to tell his youth group, sin kills. Key to understanding the Christian life and our relationship to righteousness and sin. Sin kills. And perhaps you can relate to that, this struggle that Paul had. So many of us have a desire to follow God, but we seem incapable of doing so. The the temptations and the frailties of the, the, the flesh are just too great whether it's sexual immorality, the pursuit of pleasure, laziness, fatigue, which isn't sin in itself, but it's part of the frailty of the human flesh that that sometimes stops us from pursuing God, or whether it's the lures of the world, entertainment, money, distractions, the things that cause fear. We're like Dave in the 1997 film The Full Monty. Dave and his friends decide to make a buck by... uh, performing a striptease act at the local pub inspired by uh, the American group, the Chippendales. Now, the movie is not all that bad. Don't judge it based on that premise. It's actually very got some good uh, themes in it. But in Dave's case, Dave carries a bit of weight. Looks more like me than Ephraim. And uh, he has a real self-image problem, which is affecting his mental health and... And his marriage. And so in despair, one night, Dave uh, goes into his garage and decides he's going to sweat a bit of weight off. He wraps himself up in glad wrap and then starts eating a Snickers bar. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who can relate to that on a number of levels. (laughs) And then finally, in despair, coming back to the passage with this inability to do what he wants to do, Paul cries out, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer, of course, is that God has done it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then at the beginning of verse 8, we get the therefore, because God has done this through Jesus, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful declaration that is. Why Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, in the previous chapter, in in chapter 7, and in fact a large part of Romans follows these themes, uh, Paul explained that the Old Testament law, or, or the Torah, uh, which means instruction, uh, was meant to give life, but because of our propensity to sin, it's utterly powerless to do so. So that all the law can actually achieve is to make our sin worse. Worse. said so before the law, I didn't know what sin was, and once the law came, I jump at every chance I can to sin. Well, at least that's what it feels like. But then we read here in, in chapter 8, verses 3 to 4 that God sent his son uh, to be a sin offering. And and Jesus lived the perfect life and became the perfect sinless sacrifice and so became the perfect fulfilment of Torah, of the law. In Torah language, he is perfectly righteous. Righteous. And so you and I can't escape the law of sin and death, but we know a guy who can. Now, verse 2, Paul says, uh, because the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Law here uh, probably means something more like a binding principle or authority. Law, like many words, has a range of meanings. And so Paul's probably using a play on words to compare it to the Torah, But it's not like the Torah, which is a divine but all the same constructed legal code. Uh, These are more the realms of authority that bind us. We're either in the realm under the principle bound by sin and death or in the realm of life. And so because of the human inclination to sin, Torah binds us to the realm of sin and death. But in Jesus... We're transferred to the realm of life in the spirit. And so we can look at it this way, perhaps. There's all sorts of ways we can look at it, but this is one I'm picking this morning. (laughs) Whoever Jesus lives in by the spirit is righteous because the righteous one indwells them and makes them righteous. Because we've got Jesus who is righteous, we have become righteous and so within this, the life of the spirit, Paul tells us, the life of the spirit and the believer is key to this freedom. And so what I want to spend the rest of the time this morning doing is looking at what the spirit actually does in us. And we'll see four things. First, as we've seen, the spirit sets us free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. Now, this doesn't mean we no longer sin. It doesn't mean we don't have a propensity to sin. But it does mean sin's grip is loosened. And Paul later on, as we read, talks about putting to death the the deeds of the flesh. The thing is that sin's grip is loosened. It's no longer the controlling force in my life. The principle of life is now the controlling force. And we find that the deeper we go with Christ, if we're walking with him, the less we will sin. Sin's grip gets loosened and loosened. And this is what we call sanctification. To sanctify means to make sacred, to make holy. One of the themes of the chapter. So the Holy Spirit sets us free. In verse 10, we see that the Holy Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, in the preceding verses, in verses 5 to 8, Paul contrasts the mindset of the flesh with the mindset of the spirit. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God's law and so dwells in the realm of death, but the mindset of the spirit drifts towards God and dwells in the realm of life. So I guess the key is how do we cultivate the mindset of the spirit in order to have life? And in verse 9, Paul seems to indicate we don't do anything in the sense that it's just something that happens to the believer. If we have the spirit, if we're in Christ, then we should have the mindset of the spirit. It's a consequence of our life in Christ. But nevertheless, in verses 12 to 13, he says that uh, we need to put to death the the deeds of the body. We need to live uh, according to the spirit. We walk with the spirit. We cooperate with the spirit in this. We're not completely passive, obviously. I'm sure we all know the distractions that can come in, the choices we have to make. A little hard getting up in the morning or whenever it is to crack open your Bible and read that or distractions in prayer or whatever. But we are still moving in that direction if we are led by the Spirit. You know, one of the things I've always wanted to do is to be able to play a musical instrument. I started many times learning a number of different instruments. Guess what? There's a reason I don't stand up here and play with the band. (laughs) And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I can't. Obviously, it's a matter of practice, but you know what? As I reflect on this, I don't think it's just a matter of practice. Obviously, if I practiced, I'd become good. But why don't I practice? I think it's because I don't have the mindset of a musician. Um, I enjoy music as much as the next person, but I don't love it. Some people really get meaning and and find uh, something very deep in music, and I have moments of that, but it's not in my soul. I've never shifted to the mindset of a musician and so I had that motivation to practice and put everything else on hold for it. If we want life, we need to shift our focus to the realm of life, we need to cultivate the mindset of life, which is the mindset of the spirit. Now, fortunately, the difference between me practicing music and us practising the mindset of the Spirit is that we have the Spirit living in us. It's not simply a case of external motivation, but God himself shifting our mindset and enabling us to this. We have to, as I said, cooperate and make choices within this, though, to make sure that we, in a sense, are living out our authentic Christianity, our authentic nature, as Christians. Just as an aside, I just want to touch on some of Paul's language here. Uh, Last week, I mentioned about the Trinity and how I'd skipped over that in my sermon. I don't think we can keep avoiding it um, because it's just so embedded in Paul's thinking. (coughs) Paul says that the Spirit of God lives in us, in one breath. In the next breath, he says that the Spirit of Christ If the Spirit of Christ is not in us, we do not belong to God. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. And then he says that Christ himself indwells us. If Christ himself indwells us, the Spirit gives life, even though the body is dead. So which is it? Is it the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, or Christ himself? Last week, if you remember in Acts 2, if you're here, we, we saw that Jesus is by nature God and that the Father gives the Spirit through the Son. And we talked briefly about the two natures of Christ. That he is one person with two natures, divine and human. And here we read that if the Spirit lives in us, then Christ is living in us. And this is because the Spirit is also God. He's not an impersonal force. He's not an angel or, or something like that. He is God, And this is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one being, if you like, manifest in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so when we talk of the activity or presence of the Father or of the Son or of the Holy Spirit, we're really talking about the activity and presence of God. And one person of the Godhead or the Trinity represents all of them. They're somehow distinct. We can't confuse the persons, but they're also one being, one essence, the church fathers put it. Yes, it is a mystery. You know, they say if God was small enough for us to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for our problems. He wouldn't be creator. And so there will always be a mystery Uh, in trying to comprehend God. And yet, when we come to the Scripture, this is where we must arrive, and this is why the early church arrived at the doctrine of the Trinity. A lot of uh, people sort of put out that you'll hear people sometimes say that, oh, it was the Council of Nicaea under Constantine that invented the doctrine of the Trinity. It's really not. It developed over centuries as... Uh, Christians wrestled with what they were reading in Scripture. What do we do with these passages that seem to mix Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and and came to this uh, developed position of, of the Trinity? Anyway, back to the passage. That's just so if you're reading these things, understand uh, that this is very Trinitarian language. It is all of God. <coughs> so back to verse 10. Uh, Despite the life in the Spirit, Paul says, our body is still dead because of sin. Now, obviously, it's not literally dead. We're here walking, breathing, talking, but it's subject to the realm of death. We see a bit of this in right back at the beginning in Genesis, where God said to Adam in the Garden of Eden that you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Because the day you eat of that tree, of that fruit, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve did. And yet Adam lived another 900 years. So his body is still ticking along, but he is now moved from the realm of life, which is what the Garden of Eden represents, to the realm of death, separated from the life of God that was in the garden. And so it is with us. Our bodies are subject to the realm of death. And yet, Paul says, the spirit in us is life. Now, some translations will have gives life. The, the uh, Greek is literally the spirit is life. Now, it seems then that the process of becoming alive in the spirit has stages. It begins for us with our spirit. The 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 spirit makes our spirit alive. And then sometimes we see this life of the spirit leak over into our bodies in the physical realm. Sometimes we'll see the kingdom manifest, the kingdom of God through healings or miracles. But on the whole, we we live with the reality that we have spirits that have come alive, but bodies that are still very much in the realm of death. And some of us, I'm sure, feel this more than others. And this leaves us with a tension, this tension between life and death that we wrestle with. But in verse 11, even for our bodies, there is hope, our physical bodies. We see the promise of another activity of the Spirit, and that's that God will, future, raise our mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in us. And we have hope that he will do this because he's already done it in Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits. From among the dead. You know, there's a popular conception that uh, among Christianity that when we die, our spirit goes to heaven and we live with Jesus forever. That's the end of the story. Amen. But that's not what the Bible says. Whatever happens after we die, and the Bible's actually really vague about it, about all it promises is that we will be with the Lord. So, in some sense, we're with the Lord, but it's not the final picture. Whatever happens after death is not the end of the story the end of the story will come with resurrection these physical bodies or i guess if everything all the atoms of all the structures dissolve god will give us new bodies but the the image of the end for christians is new bodies bodies no longer subject to death can you imagine this Bodies that now, as our spirit lives in the realm of life, that our bodies are subject to the realm of life as well. Bodies animated by the principle of the spirit. It's actually worth thinking of a little bit. Think about Jesus' post-resurrection body and then think about what that means for us. So we have this hope. But there's one more thing that the, the Spirit does. Not only have we been given life by the Spirit, but he says in verses 15 and 16 that we have been adopted into God's family. We talk a lot about identity in this church because the reality is when we become Christians, we take on a new identity. We change from what we were. We don't have adoption in Australia so much anymore. In fact, I don't think we have it at all. But traditionally, when a child is adopted, they completely leave the identity of their birth family behind. They take the name of their new parents. They adopt the culture of their new family. You sort of can't help it when you move into a new culture. You start to adopt it. Their parents have full parental rights over them. And they have all the rights of inheritance and so on that go with us. And it's the same with us as Christians. We have this new legal, if you like, uh, change in identity. But, you know, we have a spiritual change as well. We've seen that we're transferred from the realm of death into the realm of life. And this is the the spiritual equivalent of having our DNA rewritten uh, with our adopted father's genes. We just it's a radical change of identity. One day, our bodies will catch up with the spiritual reality. And as we'll see next week, this isn't just a theological truth that we accept by faith. It's meant to be an experience that animates the believer. But as I say, we'll talk about that next week. But this morning, just to wrap up, to summarise the work of the Spirit, the Spirit sets us free and the Spirit gives us life. And the Spirit adopts us into the family. This is our identity. This is who we are. And the Spirit will give us resurrection. This is the hope we have for the future. You know, in the full Monty, Dave has his breakthrough when he starts to internalize a little bit the, some of the love that his wife and his friends have for him. And as God's people, it's, it's really vital that we, internalize the reality of who we are in Christ through the Holy Spirit so that we can truly live it and so that we can truly experience it. Because we are, if you're a believer today, if you have Jesus, you are someone who has been made alive by the Spirit and you might be thinking, well, I don't feel like that. We're going to look at that next week so make sure you're here. But if you're here this morning and you don't know that reality and you don't have Jesus and you think that freedom, life, resurrection, adoption into a new family sounds good, it can be yours. When we turn to God, he gives us a new identity. This is all by his grace and mercy. It's not something we Do, it's something we believe and hold on to. So it begins by trusting in Jesus Christ, who died so that we can be forgiven of our sins and live for God. And so if you're interested in knowing more, I invite you to come and talk to me after the service. But for us in Christ, there is no condemnation because we have been set free by the spirit of life. I hope that we can move more and more deeply into the reality of that. Let's pray as the band comes forward. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Father, my simple prayer is that we will know the freedom and life, the joy of being your children, and the hope of future resurrection it comes from life in the Spirit. In Jesus' name.